Welcome to the Cybertraps Podcast. I'm Jethro Jones coming to you from Washington. I'm the host of the podcast Transformative Principle and author of the book School X, How to Redesign Your School for the People Right in Front of You. I am a former principal at all levels of K-12 education. Greetings, everyone. I'm Frederick Blaine, an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, including most recently Cybertraps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cybertraps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices. Over the coming weeks and months, we'll be talking to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. Join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work, please visit us at the at centerforcyberethics.org. The Cybertraps podcast is a production of the Center for Cyberethics, an independent, nonpartisan educational institute dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research, curricular development, publishing and media, professional training, and public advocacy. Greetings there, Jethro. Well, hello, Fred. I just did something brand new for the first time, and it felt so good. <laughs> well, that's a big open category, and what would that be? <laughs> well, I, I got a new monitor... I'm just going to take a picture of it right here real quick and I'll text it to you later. And okay. Uh, so I have, I've had a teleprompter type set up so I can look at you when I'm talking to you instead of looking off over to the side, um, which, or down below, which is annoying. And I got a monitor that has a horizontal flip on it, which means that now when I, I can have our intro and our notes up on the screen in front of me, instead of, over to the side and I can look at it before they were reversed. Cause I'm looking in a mirror. Now they are the right, right way. Total nerdy thing. I apologize for distracting for a moment, but let me just say it's awesome. Well, if we weren't nerds, would we be doing this at oh, all? I ask you that. It's that is very true. Very true. Indeed. So that's cool. I look forward to seeing that. I mean, the technology stuff continues to be amazing and it is actually a great lead-in, so not distracting the slightest, because today <laughs> we're actually talking about the implications of technology and what they mean for students and what they mean for schools. Yes, and as you can imagine, I have had so many conversations about this very topic. It is, it's not even funny. We're going to talk about <laughs> whether or not we should ban phones in schools. So we'll get into all that. Uh, but this started from something that happened in the UK in June. Do you want to tell us about that education secretary who made this crazy suggestion? <laughs> well, well, actually, let's not let's not prejudge the case whether or not it's crazy or not. We'll decide. <laughs> but actually, this is a this is a a phenomenon. This is a debate that's been brewing for some time. Mm -hmm. If you go through the resources in our show notes, which are as voluminous as ever, you'll see that there are articles dating back as far as 2016, in which people are talking about whether or not some kind of ban is appropriate. And in fact, researchers began studying the impact of phones on kids 
as early as 2013, 2012. So I think very early on, people recognized that there was a potential for um, issues in terms of what or how kids learn in schools. But the specific thing that I came across when I was looking at show topics this morning is actually an article from June, as you point out, in which the UK secretary, Gavin Williamson, in the summer, uh, suggested banning mobile phones. And England, of course, has some variations in terms of how they administer schools and so forth. Um, actually, their private schools are what we think of as public schools. And uh, you know, a lot of the institutions get referred to as colleges, even though they're you know, high schools, basically. So it can be a little bit confusing. But, you know, Williamson was taking the approach as education minister that the, the coming out of the pandemic gave the government and schools an opportunity to reflect upon the use of electronic devices. And, of course, one of the things that they were concerned about was the rise in the amount of time that kids were spending in front of screens, so that, you know, there are some legitimate issues there. I think um, there were a lot of testing problems that arose in England that had nothing to do with smartphones. And there, were, there was some grumpiness about the way in which the pandemic was handled in the schools um, as a part <laughs> from everywhere else in society. So actually, Williamson took the hit on this in terms of uh, irritation with the government. And he got shuffled out of the cabinet in September. So he's kind of a moot factor at this point, but the debate still goes on in terms of whether or not the use of smartphones is a good thing for kids in the classroom. Yeah, and I think, too, we're going to talk about banning cell phones in the classroom or in the school, and I'm just going to say we're going to use the word school or classroom interchangeably to mean the school as a whole because you can't have kids have their phones in one part of the school and think that they're not going to take them into the other part of the school. So that's a pipe dream that many schools struggle with on a daily basis, and you're you're going to always be playing whack-a-mole if that's what you're doing. So really it's about banning devices from school, period, personal devices and mobile phones specifically. So I think one of the issues here is that if we're going to do that, then we're going to have uh, you know, challenges with a, a lot of parents who want their kids to have schools or have phones, excuse me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you, you also include in the notes that there are uh, several countries that already have bans uh, pretty much countrywide, Afghanistan, Australia, China, and France. Now, two out of those four, you know, we're concerned about other human rights violations there, but um well, maybe more than just two. We'll see. <laughs> that's a much different show than we're doing today. Yeah, that's not really our topic here. But, you know, thinking about that, that's 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 a concerning thing to think about, that, uh, that if we're taking cues from those that we think are not leading in the right way, then maybe that's not the, the, the path we should take. Well, it, you know, and it, I think... This is such a timely discussion because it taps into some of the political divide that we have in our country today, mm -hmm. right? And, and the idea 
that the government might suggest or, or require in some capacity that kids leave their mobile devices at home is going to ruffle a lot of libertarian <laughs> feathers. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of the flip side of you will have a vaccine in order to come into the school, which, you know, that, again, because we're, that's not really a cyber trap issue, we won't go too deeply into it. But I still have the scar in my arm from the, the shots I had to get in order to go to school in the first place. So, yeah. you know, that, that, that's something we can allude to periodically. I think your point's an interesting one. I mean, certainly Afghanistan, now that it's sort of reasserting its own political system in the wake of the U.S. departure, their motivation is pretty clearly tied to their sense of uh, Muslim law and so forth, and also part of their very disturbing crackdown on uh, how girls and women are educated in their country. With China, it's it's a little bit different. I mean, certainly they're having a massive human rights issue with the Uyghurs in Northwest China, but this their ban seems much more driven by their furious desire to be competitive uh, scientifically and educationally with the rest of the world. Um, Australia and France, it's it's a little bit more. Um, a little bit more driven by some of the research we're going to talk about in terms of the deleterious impacts. So, yeah. So one thing that I do appreciate is reevaluating what we're doing after the pandemic. And I think that mm. everybody needs to do that and reevaluate what's important in our lives, what we need to be thinking about and where we need to be spending our time and on what and doing what that is something that I think is just so important that we can't overlook it. So I think Williamson in the UK was right in saying we should look at whether or not this is a thing we want to do because we actually have an opportunity to make a change now. And I really appreciate people who are being thoughtful, even if their ideas don't go anywhere, just thinking what could we do differently and we don't have to do things the way we've always done them because we saw that for 12 to 18 months, we just abandoned everything that we said we believed in, especially <laughs> in schools. So I won't get on a soapbox yeah. about that, but boy, we sure said a lot of things are not important that we've preached for years are important. If you want to read more about that, my Substack, jethrojones.substack.com, you can go check that out because I, I do get on a high horse about that, but we won't waste our time here. <laughs> Instead, I think it's important to recognize that these are not... Um, these are not just phones that you call people on. These are powerful computers that go in our pockets, and we we, we really should um, have a plan for it, not just ban them. Right. I, I think that that at the end of the day will be our conclusion, right? That yeah, I keep jumping the shark a, here. Sorry. No, that, no, <laughs> no, no, no. That's all fine. Don't worry about it. Um, please keep listening. We have lots to tell you yeah. before we reach that conclusion. But I think you're putting your finger on it, right? That that there is a, a tendency to be a little black and white about this, that we're going to do either or, or in computer geek terms, binary, right? It's either one or it's zero, and there's nothing in between. But I think that one of the things that comes out of these different studies that have been done is that a more nuanced approach makes sense. And on top of that, 
I think we have to respect the way kids are integrating this technology into their own learning process. Because you know, you as an educator would know full well that you can have a plan for how you wanna get information across to kids, but kids are gonna absorb that differently. And they're going to bring their own experience and their own expectations to it. And we need to be realistic that now smartphones are part of that world for kids. The smartphone really is a part of their world. And even if they don't have their own smartphone, they know people who have them, they know how to use them, and they just interact differently. And so one of the big things about education is that if we are just trying to dispense information so that kids can then regurgitate that information, a lot of that is really pointless because we can look almost everything up instantly and we can find out the answer to anything. So the other part of this is that if that's what our purpose in education is and the cell phones are making it too easy for kids to get that information so they can score well on tests that are only about recall, then that is a bigger problem than whether or not we have phones in school. That is a problem of how the curriculum is designed and assessed and how we know whether or not kids are quote unquote successful in school. So those issues we need to think about because a phone enables you to do a lot of different things that are really quite amazing. And instead of running from that, we should probably embrace that more and allow more of that to happen. One of the things I always say is that if you write a test where kids can cheat, that's on you as the test creator, and that's your problem, not the student's problem. <laughs> well, this is actually directly relevant to the work that I'm doing for the rise of the digital mob, because the starting place for that story is in the early 1960s, before computers were widely available. And one of the real leaders in computer development at the time was a man who worked at MIT and a couple of other uh, Boston area places called JCR Lickleader. And he wound up becoming what's commonly referred to as the Johnny Appleseed of the internet because he had a huge pile of money in the post Sputnik panic. And he traveled around the country creating computer um, science schools where none had existed. And one of the things that got him into the position he was in was a paper he wrote called Computer Man Symbiosis. And this was back in 1960. And he's already envisioning the relationship that we're just now getting to in terms of how we interact with our devices and with the internet, which is to say, we park a huge amount of information in the cloud and we don't have to worry about memorizing that anymore. So just as you're saying with students, we should be teaching people how to think about the problems and the issues they deal with, as opposed to trying to regurgitate information. It's a very different thing, but it's absolutely what this visionary saw coming down the road. Yeah, and that is much more um, effective and, and leads to much better outcomes than just regurgitation. And unfortunately, we put so much emphasis on testing and assessment that we don't put as much emphasis on creative problem solving and interpersonal skills. And those things mm. are, to me, much more important. And this bringing us device into school really does impact those things as well. So in 
we'll go over some of these results of some of these studies. But before we do that, I just want to say, if there's anything related to um, improving assessment scores or things like that, all, all grades are made up anyway. And so a lot of that doesn't really matter because you can find other ways to inflate the grades, which is a piece of cake. So I really want to think more about the other impacts um, of it. So let's take a look at a couple of these studies. And um, and I want to look at the 2013 study first of students not using cell phones. And the first thing we have listed there is that they wrote an average of 62% more in their notes and they wrote more detailed notes. And to me, the biggest thing here with cell phones is the distraction issue. And it mm -hmm. is so distracting. And if you can take better notes and recall more information, um, then, then that's great. Even if the point is not to just regurgitate information, but to remember and relate back to the things that you were doing and find connections between those things. That is so, so valuable. So being able to take better notes is really a a good step in the right direction. I thought that was a really insightful thing for them to focus on in that particular study. And it's interesting because it's not just the quantity of the information that the kids were writing down, but it was exactly what you were alluding to, the, the concept of synthesis. And that one of the reasons that people think that students may remember better or have a better understanding when they do actual note taking as opposed to typing stuff is that the very act of writing, and I realize this is getting a little old school, but the very act of writing is sufficiently slower that you have to figure out how to do it concisely. And that process of translating what you're hearing into something that from a time perspective makes sense to write down is where a lot of the learning and retention comes in. Whereas if you're just banging away at a keyboard, you, it, it, it's a very different process. You're not necessarily slowing down enough to listen to what you're hearing and make it integral to your understanding. That piece I think is really important because it highlights what we're, what one of the problems that we face, which is that everything is so fast and instant that it's actually a hindrance. And if we take the time to slow down, process, and think about things, it makes things better in all sorts of ways. Not just Absolutely. in not just in school, but in in our interpersonal relationships and in life and in work and in everything. And everything right now is so fast that it's really challenging. So there's there's not there's not ever any time to slow down. And by extension, sometimes that's really nice to be able to get things done or get through things quickly. Um, but on the other hand, we, we do a lot of things fast and it's okay to slow down. Well, this is true. And, you know, this, this again ties us back into the emergence from a pandemic, Jethro, I think, because one of the things that we came to realize, and I think there were many things, but one of them was this idea of the importance of human connection and actual conversation, right? You and I saw that when we we're out in Oklahoma mm -hmm. City. You know, you're meeting a bunch of people for the first time and you're engaging at a face-to-face -face level and it's different. You know, the conversations are different. They're more spontaneous. Things, you know, pop up that might not otherwise. 
And one of the articles that we have in our resource section is actually out of New Zealand, where they were, where one specific New Zealand school was doing an experiment with significantly reducing smartphone use. And they actually found that the school got a little noisier because Mm -hmm. people were talking to each other or the kids were playing card games or they were throwing a football around. They were having those kind of one-to-one interactions that smartphones eliminate in the physical sense. And so, you know, they, they were touting all of the benefits from an interpersonal level of minimizing smartphone use. Yeah. And Another fallacy in education is that a quiet classroom is a learning classroom, and that's not the case. A noisy classroom is a learning classroom, and <laughs> learning right. Well, you would say there's a balance there, right? Because there's chaos, and <laughs> yes, chaos is different, uh, but not yes. necessarily doesn't mean that you're not learning. So that that being said, there's there's this increase in activity that you also see when kids are not on their phones. So I was sitting outside of a classroom waiting for my daughter yesterday, or this morning actually, and as the kids came out of the classroom and started interacting with other kids who were who were in a different classroom, one kid came up and said, hey, did you see how I barely won that battle? And the other kid was like, what? And he said, yeah, I was... I was sitting there and I almost did this and he was talking about some game that he was playing clearly just a minute ago in class when he should have been paying attention to participating. And then he said, weren't you the one who was spectating me? And his friend said, no, I wasn't. I was in class paying attention. He didn't say that part, but <laughs> I, that's but, what his tone you said. you inferred that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and so this other boy was like, oh, I thought you were, I thought you were the one spectating. So this one kid was completely not focused on anything that was happening in class. Um, and the other kid was doing presumably what he was supposed to, which was paying attention in class. And, you know, just hearing this conversation, this one boy who was playing had no idea what was actually going on in the classroom. He was totally quiet, uh, but focused on his own thing and not focused at all on what was going on. So, if he was actually engaged and involved, he would have been talking or listening to someone else talk. There would have likely been more noise happening in that classroom. So anyway, it was just a really timely, interesting insight that I got to experience this morning when I was waiting for my daughter. Well, and that's really spot on, right, for what we're discussing today, because this is the dilemma. Um, Before we move on, you know, I think we do want to talk about some of the potentially positive uses of smartphones within the educational environment. But I do want to spend a couple of minutes talking about some of the very real physical and psychological issues that people are concerned about. And as you know, this is a topic that I covered in Cyber Traps for the Young. I'm gonna be revisiting it in the update for this because we're, we're conducting this long running experiment partly on ourselves, but certainly on our children about the physical and psychological impacts of these devices. And I think it is really um, incontestable that there's psychological risk in terms of using these devices. And we can look at this in a couple of different levels because we've got the actual use of the device itself, right? So it more isolating, 
Um, people get wrapped up in them. They get possessive of the devices. They, they fight with parents over them. All of that stuff. Talk a little bit about decline in conversation skills and so forth. But then there's actually how the devices are being used, which is to say, what apps, what games are you playing on the device? And within those, you've got a whole other range of potential problems. So there's that. And then the physical stuff is subtler, but I think no less serious in terms of obviously deprivation of sleep. If these devices are in the bedroom, we've talked about that a bunch. Uh, there's real concern about posture, particularly with young kids hunched over a tablet or a smartphone. Uh, the impact on vision, I think, is going to be a little bit like long COVID. It's just going to be something people wind up living with because they don't think it through. Um, and then the other thing I think um, that you're starting to see are repetitive stress injuries, mm -hmm. you know, texters, thumb, that kind of thing. So we want to be balanced about this, but I do think that parents and educators really have to pay attention to the work that's being done to appreciate what these devices are doing to kids in those two realms. Yeah, and you you have to pay attention as a parent. And part of the challenge with this is that it is not just a school issue. It's a parent and school issue. And that brings up a lot of, of challenges mm. that you you may say at home, we're not going to use devices at a, for a certain amount of time or put them away or charge them in the bedroom or whatever. Not in the bedroom, excuse me. Um, but then at school, if the kids are left to their own devices, they're probably going to be, you know, hiding the phone underneath the desk and looking down the whole time and doing, you know, those repetitive stress or posture issues can become a very real thing. And I mean, I saw that with kids in my school, you know, you could look in the classroom and see exactly who was on their phone right away. And they <laughs> well, think you know, they're being funny. slick. <laughs> Well, and I was just going to say, Jethro, I thought I was all that too in elementary school where I would hide a book under the desk that yeah. I was really caught up in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's okay, fine. Maybe you can give a little bit of a thumbs up to reading, but it was the same distraction. It was the same. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, yeah, look, I, I think that you're highlighting the relationship between the schools and parents on these issues is critically important. Because obviously, as you know better than I do, the schools have to deal with a range of parenting styles and expectations. And how you strike the right balance on that, I have no idea. I mean, we didn't have a lot of these issues when I was on the Burlington School Board because you know, the percentage of kids, at least in the first half of my tenure there, that had devices was so low. Uh, you only started to get it towards the end of my time on the board, but you're much more recently out of that environment. Yeah. And, you know, this is something where there really needs to be, and this is part of the plan that we have been hinting at, but one of the things that needs to happen is that parents and schools need to be on the same page about device usage. And rather than the school saying this is allowed and this is not, it really needs to be a conversation about all of these issues that we've talked about and what we want to do. So one of the things that I was about to implement in my school, but we didn't ever get around to it, was the idea of a 
a, a badge or micro-credential that a student could earn in order to have mm. their phone at school. So if you want to have your phone at school, these are the things that need to happen. One, you need to charge it outside of your bedroom at night. If you don't agree to do that and your parents don't agree to do that, then we don't think you should have it in school. And these are ways to help kids want to do the right thing, and it's really hard for them. Um, having uh, screen time limits is another thing that you have to agree to that, you know, for example, and it doesn't have to be this, but no cell phones at the dinner table that the family mm -hmm. agrees to, that if we eat dinner as a family, we're not going to have our cell phones there. And a, a couple of those things that if you can collaborate with parents rather than tell parents that this expensive thing they bought for their student, they can't use at all at school, um, then you're probably going to have a better chance of success with them. See, I think that's really smart. And this seems like a good opportunity to remind people that we have both the book and the audio course, Raising Cyberethical Kids, which talks a lot about these kinds of issues. And I think would be an excellent starting place for a school to engage in those conversations with parents and hopefully with kids as well. Because when you're developing this kind of plan, and this is something I think is actually critically important, you want to bring the students themselves into the conversation. I mean, obviously in an age appropriate way, right? You're not going to have the same conversation with a first grader that you do with a high school junior, but they all have something useful to say about how they use their devices and what their expectations are within the classroom and the school community. And, and this is, I think, one of the things that, that is perhaps part of a good conversation, Jethro, if we can find a child development specialist to come on and talk with us, because I think the prevalence of digital devices is accelerating maturity mm. on the part of kids, not wisdom necessarily, yeah. but at least maturity. And I think that we need to recognize both as parents and as educators that you know your average fifth grader is not the same as when certainly I was a kid or you for that matter. You know, the technology has really changed how they approach their own education. Yeah, for sure. And there are, you know, there are some positive things about having um, phones in schools that kids can take advantage of that you and I never could, you know, like re sure. recording, <laughs> recording a difficult lesson or, or taking a picture of a of an explanation on the board so that if your notes weren't good, you could refer back to it. I mean, those yes. are two really simple, positive things that are just incredible. I mean, being able to have stuff right next to you as you're learning and being able to access things that I had to go find in a textbook that I hope the person who had the textbook before me didn't scratch out <laughs> or did highlight, you know, those were the kinds of things that I had to figure out. And being able to have access to those things is huge. And those are those have brought a level of maturity to how kids learn, like you mentioned, that is so powerful because now it's not just about them, you know, being able to to hear the lecture and then take notes and then do the homework. It's about them finding ways to even collaborate with other kids. That is really amazing. And I've seen some kids do some really amazing things with technology that you know, I 
they would have never been able to do in school before, but without that technology. And it's pretty powerful that they can do it. Oh, it's, it's amazing stuff. And, and I, I don't let myself think too much about how jealous I should be about the, you know, 50 odd year difference between my experience in third grade and what kids are doing now. But, you know, the, the challenge, and this is really at the core of our conversation today, the challenge is finding the right balance with all of this. You're absolutely right. I mean, the, the technology offers kids opportunities to better track their homework, to, you know, calendar, to collaborate, not just with their classmates, but with people around the globe on different projects. You know, there's there's outlets for creativity in apps that we've maybe dissed a little bit, like TikTok mm-hmm. or Snapchat, you know, to be fair to them. There's, there's wildly creative things you can do. So hopefully what we're encouraging people to do is to have a better understanding of each side of the equation and figure out where the appropriate balance is for their community. I mean, because at the end of the day, each community does need, I think, to develop its own standards for how these devices are used. Yeah. And, and really that does come down to the community that you're in and it's going to be different in different places based on what kinds of things people can even afford starting there and going all the way down to what the values are in the community and what we believe is important and how we spend our time and things like that. And this isn't, this isn't something where you can say, here's the hard and fast rule ban cell phones in schools period across the board for the whole entire country it that's just not going to work we need to be more nuanced and thoughtful and really focus on our individual communities as we're making these plans and rules and this is part of the the challenging work that needs to happen in this day and age that is hindered and helped at the same time by mobile devices Absolutely agree. So let's throw out a few um, a few suggestions for folks on ways to minimize some of the potential negative impacts that devices can bring to the school environment. So I think number one, and this is something I've I've harped on quite a bit, is just more sleep for kids, and that so much orients around the idea of whether or not kids have access to their mobile devices in their bedroom. And you know, we've we've talked about different parameters, but boy, it's hard to justify for elementary school kids to have, you know, a tablet or a laptop or a smartphone in their bedroom when they're trying to go to sleep. And it's tied into another suggestion that lots of people raise, which is this idea of encouraging kids to read more books, which again, you know, is a slowing down of the, the race that we find ourselves in with digital technology. And yes, I'm old school and I completely recognize that, but there is something enormously calming about reading through on a page-by-page basis a book and just relaxing. It, it is absolutely the way I end each day. I, mean, I, I can't imagine not doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the kind of... of contemplative, self-preserving habit that we should be encouraging our kids to develop. Yeah, I I think that that is very true. Um, I think I mentioned to you that one of my goals is to read 100 books this year. 
and yeah i think that's admirable yeah yeah so um i'm realizing it's a lot and i'm actually (laughs) (laughs) i mean i should have known (laughs) (laughs) who knew (laughs) but it's interesting as i approach a book um as a kid i i'm pretty sure i read a hundred books multiple years because i would just go to the library and and get tons of books um but I'm seeing now that I want to read things slower and think more thoughtfully about what I'm reading, which is making it difficult to get through my list of books because I want to take the time and listen in my to my own thoughts about the book and not just what am I reading, yes. but what do I think about what I'm reading and making a different approach to that. And then the other suggestion um, that we have is also developing a regular writing habit and mm-hmm. it. Uh, even something like a journal or a diary is is a good place to keep track of things. And I recently started a five-year journal, which I heard about on my other podcast from uh, a guy named Kirk Wheeler. And what you do is you have these prompts. So here's the, the day of February um, 24th, I think is what that says. And you have five years worth of things that you can write about. And there's a prompt up here at the top that says, here's what, you know, here's an idea of what you should be thinking. Sorry for those of you who are just listening to this. I just showed it to the audience live. <laughs> well, we'll put a, you should put a link in the show notes. That's a good idea. Yeah. So just take, you don't write very much, but just taking a little bit of time and writing mm-hmm. each day something about my thoughts or what I experienced or whatever. And I don't follow the prompts every day because... I don't have to be a slave to that, but some of the prompts are really worthwhile and make a lot of sense and meaningful and others not so much. So it just being able to take that time and think about it is is a powerful thing to do that we should definitely encourage more kids to do as well. Uh, That's a great idea. And it, it certainly does tie into everything we've been talking about, about how we can mitigate some of what's going on with these devices. It's challenging. Look, I mean, as we talk about the pandemic and as we look at the restructuring of education, nobody rationally thinks that devices are going to disappear from the classroom. But the question is, can we integrate them in a more mindful way? Yeah. Um, So I think this is a a great place to wrap up. Integrate them in a mindful way is is brilliant advice. There's so much good stuff in the show notes at cybertraps.com. So you've got to go check out all these different um, articles about uh, about smartphones in the schools. It, there's just a lot of good stuff in there. So I want to encourage you to check that out, cybertraps.com slash 90 for this episode. And really, there's, there's so much there. There's no way we could possibly get to it all. But you can go through and find some of the things that are interesting to you and, and things that will help you in your in your challenges of figuring this stuff out for you. Well, good stuff, Jethro. I think we will be revisiting this topic at some point in the future, I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) All righty. That wraps up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, and the challenges of high-tech education. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts, for helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology. You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have questions or topic suggestions. 
If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cyberchaps. If you're still listening, you must have enjoyed this podcast. Please leave a five-star rating and review in your podcast service. We appreciate having you on our audience. I look forward to having you join us for our next interview on Thursday, again from the NASDAQ API conference. 